Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 35 of X-Lapsed. And uh, I've made the joke a time or two about how uh, this might be the shortest episode on record. But, uh, oof, it is, um, well, it's Fallen Angels Day. And I am having a heck of a time trying to think of a single thing to say about the book we're about to discuss. <laughs> there is, uh, oh, this is, a. Uh, the very definition of a part four of six. This is just a another nothing happening issue in a nothing happening series. Um, I suppose I, I could tell you the story about how I got my uh, my first ever COVID test this morning. I got swabbed, uh, but that you know I, I guess that that might be a little bit more interesting than this. Uh, I drove in and they swabbed my nose and I left, and that that might be more interesting than reading this book. But. Uh, Let's get right into it here. Uh, this is Fallen Angels, Volume 2, Number 4. Had a cover date of February 2020. The story is called Shikat- Shikatsu, written by Brian Hill with art by Simon Kadransky. Colors Frank D'Armada, letters VCs Joe Sabino, designs Tom Muller, head of X Hickman, edits Robinson White Zabolski. Cover price $3.99, went on sale December 18th, 2019. Now we open in Flashback Land. Uh, This is the uh, Japan area of Flashback Land, where young Quanan is looking on while someone close to her, well, I'm assuming they were close to her, dies of poisoning. Now she's with an adult who tells her that the dying man let his guard down due to believing that the meeting he attended with others was uh, in peace. You see, uh, peace isn't to be trusted because uh, that's where the death hides. And I say, uh, we might want to run and grab our umbrella, but this time we ain't dodging fallen shoes, we're, we're dodging anvils. We hop to the present, and Quanan and X-23 are staking out a trio of apothefected children. Now, worth noting, they've got white eyes instead of black, though I'm not sure that means a damn thing here. I don't know. Uh, Laura reminds Quanan that this whole shebang is all about her, so Apoth, Overclock, all of it. It's all about Quanan, which I believe makes this the fourth issue in a row where we're finding this news out. Laura also tells Psylocke that she shouldn't be trusting any of her visions because anyone can see that she's being led somewhere. Then they talk about like trust for about a page and a half, and it's all very hackneyed. X-23 asks if maybe Betsy Braddock might be of, exi- of assistance here, considering that she, you know, lived inside Quanon's body for a while. Uh, though, I mean, considering the Marvel sliding timeline, Betsy's inhabitants of Quanon's body might have been just like for a long weekend at this point. Who knows? 
Uh, Quanon does not appreciate the suggestion and tells Laura to never, ever, ever bring up Braddock's name again. Next, Laura, who really seems to want to make conversation with this boring lunatic, says she's worried about Cable. She gets the old, you know, Cable's a big boy, he can handle himself reply. Then, two pages of credits and our roll call, and it's, uh, it's just our same three characters, Psylocke, X-23, and Cable. Speaking of Cable, we rejoin him wherever the hell he is, and he's still strapped to an apparatus of some sort. You know, he's spread eagle, like, stuck to something. <laughs> it's, it's basically how we see Cable now. He looks to be screaming, unless the wall behind him has some of the lousiest graffiti on it I've ever seen. He's addressed by that spawn-looking character wearing a, you know, a black hefty bag, uh, that, who we got to look at at the end of last issue. And, uh... The old hefty phantom here talks about how the mutants checked out on the world, which might allow for the rest of the world to begin to evolve. Haven't we heard that somewhere before? I don't think it was an issue of this book, but uh, it might have been. But I know we heard this somewhere, where somebody had mentioned how when the mutants left, the rest of the world had an opportunity to evolve. It may have been this book. I, I just... I don't remember. I just know this isn't the first time we're hearing such a suggestion. Uh, the Hefty Bag Phantom then in injects Cable with something? I, I, I think he was injecting him. The art is doing a really poor job of conveying what we're supposed to be seeing. Though in fairness, the script isn't being all that helpful either. Now, this injection or whatever is intended to be delivered to Psylocke. And we get some spoo about her losing a child, but the Hefty Phantom says she has another kid out there, but... This one isn't made of flesh and blown bones, this one is made of zeros and ones. It's, duh, a path. Now, Psylocke is called the Mother of God, and we find out that God only wants her love. And, uh, I don't even think I need a spoon to gag on after a line like that. Uh, we hop back to the stakeout. Psylocke grows bored of just waiting for these white-eyed kids to do something. Uh, yeah, tell me about it. And so she shouts out to them. They reply, causing X-23 to instinctively go snicked. Psylocke, you know, calls her rough, tells her to calm down. One of the white-eyed children starts talking, and, well, duh, it's the voice of a path, just like they did in the barn, what was it, 13 or 14 issues ago? Ugh. Uh, they play a little bit of Let's Make a Deal here. Now, in exchange for Psylocke simply listening to what he has to say, these three white-eyed children will be spared. Oh, and also, Cable won't be killed either. Um, you remember when Cable was like this big, tough, like gruff dude who like nobody would screw with? Yeah, me either. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what's going on with this kid, Cable. Uh, Psylocke extends her hand and touches the middle white-eyed kid. Here come the visions, and uh, oof. If this was hard to follow before, maybe I'm just dense, but it gets even more so here. Psylocke flashes back to an earlier assassination mission she was sent on by an old woman. I think. The art here does uh, this bit of story absolutely zero favors. Though again, in fairness, I couldn't imagine what the script Kadransky even received here looked like, you know? Um, the gist, as I understand it, and I could be completely wrong, is that Quanan was put up to kill this, this being, you know, this thing that would go on to become a path. And uh, when confronted from behind a closed door, Apoth used a child's voice to beg for its life. And so, uh, Psylocke, Revanche, Quanon, whoever she is, she spared him. 
And then over the years that followed, a path, quote, grew in the dark. After spending a couple of picoseconds reading the Bible, Apoth came to the realization that he was a god. Quote, Lucifer in defiance of the fire. Quote, the voice that guided Noah. Quote, I am the flood. <sighs> Hill's ninth grade creative writing teacher would be so proud. So, Apoth suggests that Quanon's love saved him, and so she is his mother, just as God wants. Another thing this god wants is Cable, the perfect union of man and machine. Apoth wants to evolve the world, I guess, in Cable's image? He suggests that this union will give the world a perfect peace. Apoth then releases Quanon from her projections, and as promised, spares the white-eyed children. Psylocke slumps to the ground, but is then haunted by sounds, sounds that only she can hear. She then looks up and sees something, which is something only she can see. Wow, didn't we already do this in the other Betsy book? With the druids and stuff? I don't know. <laughs> what she sees here is a glowing, humanoid, bald man. And uh, I'm not sure if it's supposed to look like Professor X, or maybe I'm just like profiling all bald men in X-Men books as being Xavier-like. That That's our cliffhanger. Um... But we wrap up with a couple of info pages which transcribe a phone interview with someone named S. Nakamoto. And they're talking about artificial intelligence, and it's uh, wildly boring. Uh, at least it was the only info page bit in the issue. But, uh, yeah, that was Fallen Angels number four. Next, we will wrap up the Dawn of X number fours with X-Men. X-Men usually leads the charge, but this time it's going to anchor the uh, the line. So... Yeah, let's, uh, I'd say let's talk about this, but like I alluded to earlier, I'm, uh, I'm running out of things to say about this book. Uh, I think I said it last time, uh, that we discussed Fallen Angels, but X-Lapsed is a free show. You know, nobody pays anything to listen to this show, but when it comes to discussing this book, I still feel like I'm ripping you all off. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm robbing you of precious time. Uh, this is just another, just a nothing happening title, another nothing happening issue, and a nothing happening title. And uh, to be honest, if I hadn't already spent like a couple hours mocking up the X-lapsed album art for the next dozen or so episodes, I'd be tempted just to push through Fallen Angels over the course of the next couple of episodes, you know, just so we never, ever, ever have to discuss it ever again. But. I've already got all of them numbered, and it was a pain in the butt putting the pieces together, so we'll have to wait. Um, what is there to possibly say about this issue? Other than the fact that uh, I didn't like it, which I guess is something, not a whole heck of a lot. Um, we're really just going through the motions here. We're getting very little in the way of new information. I'm really starting to think that this entire series could have probably been fit into a regular-sized one-shot. And by regular size, I mean like 18 to 20 story pages in total. Th there, ain't, there ain't jack going on in this book. Um, this is being executed extremely poorly. Uh, the pacing is ridiculous, and the payoffs are non-existent. I can't believe we still have two more issues of this to cover. You know, I can usually say a thing or two positive about the art when it comes to Fallen Angels, but... With this issue, I feel like the storytelling was kind of all over the place. It was hard to tell what was what, uh, especially when it came to that scene where Quanon and Apoth, you know, share a mind for that, 
uh, assassination attempt flashback. I mean, if you look at these pages, are we looking at Quanan the whole time? In certain panels, she's got long hair, and others it looks short. The costume silhouette changed a bit, too. Is this just supposed to be a little bit nebulous, or is it, are we looking at another person altogether? And these are questions I'd ask if I give a crap, but I can't say that I do, um, because it doesn't matter. I'm hoping, like really, really hoping, that there's an upswing in quality of these Dawn of X books. And I mean, like, soon. <laughs> like, today, tomorrow, yesterday. I mean, outside of Marauders and that new mutant story we haven't been allowed to read for the past few issues, there is precious little to get excited for here. Um, fingers crossed that business picks up and picks up soon because, yeah, this is rough. This is a slog. Um, when you have a line that's six books deep and four and a half of them are kind of average to middling to, in my opinion, just pretty bad, that's, uh, that's not good. <laughs> that, that doesn't make for a good reading experience. It doesn't make for a good uh, me talking about it experience because... Uh, I know the internet is a cynical place, and I know that, you know, <laughs> the angry reviewer is kind of a thing that has existed for, you know, 15, 20 years now, where you just you just talk a lot of spoo about, uh, about things and, and try to be as uh, negative and reactionary as possible, but I don't want to be that guy. I really don't want to be that guy. I want to be excited for these books. I'm yearning for the, uh, the days of Hoxpox now, where... I was excited for every single day. I was excited for every single issue, every single episode. There was just so much that we were learning. Um, I think uh, Jason put it best. He said that Hickman had set us up for the extraordinary, and uh, Dawn of X does not deliver on that very, very much at all. And I feel like we are uh, we're muddling. You know, we're muddling between events, and we're just waiting for... Because I'm sure, with the amount of sword imagery we've seen here, this is all building to, uh, to you know, X of tens. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, we are, we're just, uh, you know, we're just paddling here. We're just trying to keep afloat. And we're treading water. And not a whole heck of a lot's happening. Uh, that's noteworthy or that is building on any sort of foundation. Um... Yeah, we we need we need improvement. We need improvement. Yesterday, uh, I'm gonna vamp for a bit here and uh, flip through the old short box here to see what we have next here in this issue of X Men. And okay, I see Professor X, Magneto, and Apocalypse all wearing suits on the cover. So maybe we're not gonna get the old ladies again, which is a good thing. So <laughs> I don't know what'll happen with the old ladies, and I can't say as though I care. So hopefully. Next episode, we talk about something a little bit more interesting than the old ladies who steal plants and uh, fallen angels. But before we get to that, let's do a little bit of dipping into the mailbag here. There's going to be a short one here. Just one message from Damien. And this time he's talking about Excalibur number four. And he says, this is definitely the issue where Excalibur started to lose me. I think I commented before, but I strongly believe that Americans should not be allowed to write comics set in the UK. And uh, 
It is uh, funny that uh, you say that because this is the first issue of Excalibur as a as an American that I enjoyed because uh, it didn't take place in other world and I don't understand enough about the UK as we're going to get to in a moment to where I you know I don't know what's what <laughs> I'm not very worldly I, I probably couldn't tell you about a lot of stuff that goes on in my own country let alone others but uh, I just appreciated it because we got to. We got to see some of these characters. We got to, you know, be sort of reintroduced to some of these characters who were just kind of serving the purpose of, you know, stirring the other world pot rather than actually being, you know, three-dimensional characters. So I, I, I liked it on the, uh, by that regard here. Um, but like I said during the, the episode where we discussed Excalibur number four, can't say that I'm looking forward to what's to come because it feels like we're going right back to Otherworld. So I guess this was the calm before the storm. Uh, Back to Damien, he says, As you say, an explosion near Buckingham Palace would definitely involve a police response. My my experience is that you can't get within a mile of the palace without passing many gun-toting police. And don't forget, armed police are unusual in the UK. So yeah, that that scene did feel very, very strange here. We've got Gambit charging and exploding a bottle. And it's right outside the palace gates. Like, literally, you can... Like, Gambit could have thrown it over the gate. You know, that's how close he was to, uh, to the palace itself. And all it did was, like, foment this riot between protesters and the mutants... Didn't see any police interjection. Didn't pu- didn't see any anybody getting pepper sprayed. Nobody pulled any weapons. It was just a little brawl that uh, went away when Betsy came out of the uh, out of the palace, and she's like, "Okay, we're good to go now. You guys are officially Excalibur. Let's go." Uh, back to Damien, he says, "Not that it matters, as the Queen's role is largely ceremonial." Really, Betsy should have been at Ten Downing Street or liaising liaising with the security services. Honestly, it's not far off me writing a story where Captain America finds out that there's a threat to the USA and sending him to tell a bald eagle. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, I wondered that too, because I know that, you know, the I mean, isn't the Queen like 300 years old right now? I, I don't know that she can really be all that effective in governing. Um, and... As, you know, an uneducated American, I just see the whole royal family as a lot of, uh, as you said here, ceremonialism. It's just, these are just figure roles to, I guess royalty is just so ingrained in the culture. And this is me not knowing anything about anything. But it seems like that might be the thing where it's like royalty is so, so loomed so large in the history of the culture there that uh, that they just keep it going out of tradition or or out of ceremony. So yeah, it's uh, it was weird that Betsy went there. I wonder if Teeny Howard knows that, <laughs> or if or if you know maybe she realizes that she's writing a comic that a lot of you know ignorant Americans are going to read and. We don't know the difference between any of this stuff, you know? So it's like, oh, you know, Chris in Arizona is going to see that uh, they talk to the queen and he's going to think, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) Sounds right to me. Um, Now Damien wraps up with, uh, talking of which, I could try to explain the difference between the different names for my country, but we have deliberately kept it confusing and are legally prevented from letting Americans know the truth. I'm allowed to tell you that I live in England and Great Britain and the UK and Europe, but I don't think that helps. 
Anywho, anyway, Toodle Pip and Cheerio. And no, that doesn't help. <laughs> but I do understand the rules, and I, and, I, and, I, and I respect them. I respect the laws of your country and uh, not being able to, to tell me what's what. Uh, it's uh, funny. Um, Reggie and I did an episode of Weird Comics History way back in the day, probably early 2016, where uh, it was a short little segment that we did on another program. And what we were covering that episode was, uh, this was a DC Comics-themed uh, show, so we were talking about little weird little bits of history in D.C. And we talked about, you know, the so-called British invasion of the uh, mid to late 80s. So you had folks like, uh, you know, uh, Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman, um, Peter Milligan, Grant Morrison. You had all these uh, these Western European writers come in. And I think we even said that uh, that Morrison was from the U.K., even though he's from Scotland, so... I think in our show notes there, I have the, the mea culpa on that. But uh, I remember, we, I, think we said, I think we said England sometimes, Great Britain sometimes, and UK other times, realizing that at least one of those has to be right one of the times we said it. So we, we tried to cover our bases. Because Reggie was a, uh, was a wildly worldly fellow and, uh, and a brilliant individual. And uh, when I asked him what the difference was, he couldn't explain it to me. And uh, when he couldn't explain it to me, that was like, okay, well, then I, I feel a lot less dumb not knowing if Reggie doesn't know. But, uh, but yes, I, I appreciate the, uh, the laws of, uh, of, your, of your island nation. And, uh, and I will not pressure you to, uh, to let me into the club. So I, I do have Irish ancestry. Uh, you know, Sheehan is my, my, you know, my uh, last name. So yeah, I got a little bit Irish there, but uh, I understand I understand, but uh, thank you so much for reaching out, and uh, I, I definitely appreciate your um, your point of view on this story. You know, taking place in in either England, the UK, or Great and or Great Britain, because uh, I think you're offering this uh, very fascinating to me um, perspective. Where, like I said earlier here, if Betsy says she talked to the Queen, I'm like, cool, okay, everything everything makes sense. But uh, maybe, you know, living over there would be like, well, she probably should have talked to someone else. And that makes sense. So that that's really cool. So thank you so much for reaching out. And, uh, uh, you know, before we go into uh, the end game here, I do want to apologize for how negative this episode probably sounded. Um, I kind of feel like we're getting a lot of issues in a row where the, the quality just isn't there. Um... The past three episodes, we had we had an X Force issue that really put the forced in X Force. Uh, we had a New Mutants issue, which was also less than great, and here we have uh, Fallen Angels. So it's we're not our, our batting average is is not uh, not great at the moment. So, like I said earlier, hopefully this comes back around. Um, I am ignorant to what's to come. You know, I don't know. If there's anything, any notable stories on the way, I don't know if there are any big story beats on the way. Um, I do remember getting some mail saying that you know certain issues of certain books had you know pivotal, uh, you know post Hox Pox revelations and kind of built on that foundation. So there will be some stuff. I just I don't remember which issues they were off the top of my head, but 
I'm looking forward to seeing some stuff, <laughs> especially because yeah, these haven't been a these haven't been a fun few episodes for me here. Um, kind of a kind of a slog, and uh, yeah, fingers crossed, we'll hope for the best, right? So, uh, <laughs> if you'd like to reach out and tell me what a horrible curmudgeon I am and how horribly negative I am about these brilliant books. Uh, you can do so at Ace Comics on Twitter or at WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find all the show notes and the stuffs at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. I recently covered another oddity over there. I covered the Obnoxio the Clown versus the X-Men one-shot from 1983, which introduced us to a mutant character called I-Scream, like E-Y-E hyphen Scream. Uh, it's his only appearance, and... Uh, his mutant power is that he could change himself into any flavor of ice cream he so desires. And I thought that was fascinating because 1983, there were probably a handful of mutants, you know, a, couple, a few dozen at most. And one of them was ice cream. And uh, we covered that other 1983 book with Equus. And uh, yeah, we had only, I mean, we probably had less than 50 mutants and two of them were Equus and ice cream. I just thought that was kind of cool. So I covered that, the Obnoxio one-shot, and also the uh, Uncanny X-Men at the State Fair of Texas uh, one-shots. So uh, those are there at chrisoninfiniteearth.com for folks who want to see some weird comics. Uh, you can also check out the X-Lapsed sub-page at xlapsed.chrisoninfiniteearth.com. You can find us on Facebook at 90s X-Men. Find us on the Tumble at the Tumble. Um, also, the full audio archives are at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. A lot of stuff cooking there, so uh, there'll be there'll be a cup, at least a few new programs starting up over the course of the next uh, next handful of weeks. Just uh, lining up some lining up with uh, some co-hosts and uh, trying to trying to actually sit down, sit still for long enough to to mock up a schedule, which is. Something that I have a big problem with. But uh, <laughs> I think that's where we'll leave it. Um, it is worth noting that with this issue of Fallen Angels, we finish our third of four uh, reading order checklists that appear in the back of the House, House of X, Powers of X, Dawn of X books. So this is, my, this is how I'm kind of navigating my way through here. I'm going strictly down this line. We have one more, uh, one more list uh, that has, I think, 11 books on it. But after that, Marvel stopped including a list, a reading order list, in the back of the House of X, Powers of X, Dawn of X era of books. So we're going to be kind of flying by the seat of our pants at that point. Uh, unfortunately, the internet has conflicting and contradictory reading orders, and I'm trying to keep it as... Uh, as genuine to the release dates as possible here. My only issue will be like... If, say, on a particular day we had an issue of Marauders, Excalibur, and X-Force all come out, I just don't know which order those would be read in. So if anybody has any kind of interest in helping me out with that, let me know. And Because uh, I have a list of everything that's come out. And, uh, and if, you, if anybody wants to help me put those in order, that's fantastic. Um, we also have a couple of miniseries coming up. We got X-Men Fantastic Four, and we have the Empire uh, colon X-Men books. Don't know if we should do those all in a shot, like do four days in a row of those just to get them out of the way, or if we should just do them as they come out. Uh, so if anybody has any thoughts on that, please let me know, because uh, 
Your wish is my command because I haven't the foggiest idea what I'm doing. Anyway, that's where we'll leave it. One last huge thank you, and sorry for how negative this episode was. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for uh, sharing your time and your your audio apparati with me. And uh, till next time, when we discuss X-Men number four, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh